Easter is coming, and I can't wait till next Sunday to stand in this room and to shout and be excited because we have a resurrected Savior, and so I hope, church, wake up, let's go, right? Like, let's get excited about something this morning, okay? So, so if you will, um, turn in your Bibles with me to Romans 6, 1 through 4, that's where we'll be. Whew, I got to catch my breath here. It was like, it's a quick change back there. So, Romans 6, 1 through 4. Um, uh, Micah might have tied my shoes, just saying. And so uh, he loves his pastor a lot. And so Romans 6, 1 through 4 is where we'll be reading this morning um, uh, <clears throat> from. And uh, the title of the sermon today is Jesus is Everything. Um, I believe that one of the most profound things in our lives, um, I don't know if you have someone in your life that you would say that about that this person is everything to me. I know that all of us have people that are very special to us, maybe people in the past, maybe someone sitting beside you today, but they're everything to you. It's a pretty, pretty bold and profound statement. And I believe, and I'm just going to, can I be up front with you today? Are you cool with that? Um, okay, I'll be up front. I won't lie to you today. And so how this is going to work is I, I think a lot of people say, a lot of good things about Jesus. And I think a lot of people will just say, yeah, Jesus is everything. Sure. But I'm not, that sh- I'm not sure that's true for a lot of people. I'm not sure it's true because there's just an affection that isn't there. If I said to you, Debbie Johnston is everything to me. Yet disregarded her, thought about her once a week, maybe. You would say, hmm, Ryan, I don't know if she's everything to you. Like, you might love her, you might like her. Everything? It's kind of a bold statement. See, this Palm Sunday today is a day that I grew up with and uh, been around where typically on a Sunday like this, there's a fake bearded Jesus that walks down the center aisle of a church with some sort of uh, very sequined thing that makes his robe sparkle, although that's not what he would have looked like at all. And children would come along with palm branches, which is something that churches do. We're not doing that today, if you can't tell. And we're not in a traditional Palm Sunday text. But Palm Sunday, and what it does is it kicks off Holy Week. And what Palm Sunday really, when, so when Jesus walks down that aisle or when Jesus walks into town, when he comes into Jerusalem, this last week of his life, which kicks off Holy Week, this week in which was really the entirety of Jesus' life, but this week especially was the week that he was marching toward death. It was a week where he was entering into Jerusalem, and he does it as the prophecy spoke on a borrowed colt, and he comes into town, and people are cheering that will, in just a few short days, be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. In this week of Jesus' life, he's going to turn over tables and tick everybody off. And he's going to go to the heart of the religious and say, you don't have it at all. You've missed it. You've made it about money. You've made it about yourself. You've made it about your gain. Then he'll wash feet. 
He'll take of the bread and he'll take of the cup. And he'll say, you won't do this with me again until I return. But do it perpetually until I come back. And then he'll go into the garden. And in the garden, in agony, he will pray. And then everyone, everyone will leave him. And on Friday, when we gather here, we'll reflect on the cross where he is beaten, where he is bruised, where he is put to shame in a way that no man, I believe, has ever experienced, but especially God himself experiencing, for our, uh, uh, experiencing on our behalf. Now, just to be really clear, I'll say it today, and I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it every week, that Jesus did not, Jesus was not murdered. Jesus gave his life for us. And on Friday... Jesus was crucified and buried. And next Sunday, when we come back into this room, what we'll celebrate is that, and sorry, I'm not going to leave you in suspense because we have the whole story. See, Jesus didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the dead. He got up and he walked, and today he sits on high. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a resurrected Christ. So what is profound about this Holy Week? Well, what's profound is the great sacrifice that came for us. And in coming to know Jesus, I believe there's a proclamation that shouts in our hearts and in our lives, Jesus is everything. He is everything to me. There is nothing in me that is of any good without my Savior, Jesus Christ. He is everything. So if you will this morning, stand with me as we read Romans 6, 1 through 4, and we stand today in honor and reverence of God's word. Romans 6, 1 1 through 4 reads, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, may too, we might walk in newness of life. Father, would you reveal to us this in your word? Would you bring clarity to that which is unclear? Would you speak into our hearts? Would you work in the spiritual realm in our lives? And Lord, would you help our affections to grow for you as our understanding of you grows? Lord, I thank you for each and every person here. And Lord, for each of us, myself included, Lord, would you help our eyes to see you more clearly, help our hearts to love you more dearly, and help help all that we are, Lord Jesus, for us to be able to shout, Jesus, you truly are everything to us. Lord, use me to whatever end you desire today, I ask in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this text, what's happening in the book of Romans, and so today we're going to be in 6, 1 through 4 on Easter. On this coming Sunday, we're going to be in Romans 6, 5 through 11. And so we're going to teach through this small section of Scripture in the book of Romans. So to set us up a little bit where we are, so the book of Romans up to 5, up to chapter 5, and the end of chapter 5, is going to be basically this. 
is that we have sinned against a holy God. And in our sinning against a holy God, there is wrath that is coming for us. But he sent his son to the cross so that we might be justified, that we might be set right before God. And in our standing, right, in our standing before God, we stand not by something we have done, but by something God has done for us. And at the end of chapter 5, it transitions into chapter 6. And the transition into chapter 6 is not that you have been justified. Here's the theological, right? Not that you've been justified only, but you are being sanctified. And so what he's saying is that you have been made right. Your present standing, if you have repented of your sins and turned to faith in Jesus Christ, recognize that you are a sinner, a rebel from God, and turn toward him, what happens is you are set right before God, not by any of your works, not by any of your doing, but by Jesus alone. Amen, right? Amen, right? Jesus alone. And so now it transitions. So what does that mean for life? What does it mean today, tomorrow, the next day? What does it mean in the day-to-day of my life that I have been justified by Jesus? Well, what it means, so sanctification, I give you Ryan Johnston definition. Sanctification is increasingly bringing our life under the authority of Jesus as our desires increasingly grow for him. So increasingly bringing our life under the authority of Jesus that our desires may increasingly grow for him. See, before I knew Jesus, I didn't desire him very much. I desired what I wanted. Who, whatever it is that I wanted, that's what I went after. In coming to know Jesus, my desires began to change. My desires began to change because I had a God who loved me so much he sent his son to die for me. And so in that desire change, I began to wanting, longing, I want to glorify you with my life. And so because I want to glorify you with my life, I want to live in a new and a different way. So this is the sanctification. This is growing into him. So two things out of the text today that we'll pull. First is Jesus is everything for our sin. I believe 6, 1, and 2 shows us that Jesus is everything for our sin. So the text says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So what shall we say then? So the context of this, so he's referring backwards and and kind of what he was finishing 5, 18, and 19 really is where he's looking back. So I think it's on the screen so you can follow. 5, 18, 19 says, Therefore, as one trespasses led to condemnation for all men, Adam and Eve sinned, all men now are condemned through Eve, Adam, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So meaning that we sinned, right? And because of our sin, we are not set right with God. We are are separated. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19, it's going to be redundant here. He's going to say it again. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So what he's kind of concluding in this is that because of our sin, we were separated from God. And in one man's act, Jesus, the proper final atonement was given for us through him. And so as one man separated, one man brings us back. And Romans will also talk about this like this. Jesus is the second Adam, right? The first Adam We were separated from God. Jesus is the second Adam. And so Jesus is everything for our sin. So he says, what shall we say then? Right? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, in that day and age, 
and in this day and age, there were those who thought like this, that because Jesus has come and because he died for our sins, we have grace, and grace means I have license now to do whatever I want to do. And so how it worked was this, is those that have license, it started with the Sadducees, it went to the Antinomians, and it went to Gnosticism. And in 320 to 400, this got really big, and it still exists today. And how it exists today is, is uh, sort of like this. I can do what I want, I can say what I want, because really, I mean, I have these desires inside of me, and if God made me, then why shouldn't I chase after these desires in me? Because these desires must be good, because God's good, and he's given me his grace, and so he's not really going to condemn me for this because he's really given me the desires to do it. Are you following me? Do you know anybody that thinks like this? Do you think like this sometimes? Right? So this is what it's speaking of, but I think there's like a twin tower to this kind of sin. And the twin to this sin is legalism. And so there's license. Now he's speaking to those specifically in this text about license. But legalism works like this. Legalism went to the pharisaical kind of guys who Jesus is going to overturn tables with in Holy Week. This led to asceticism, which led to orthodox movements. And that was kind of the history of it. But what legalism works out today is, I needed Jesus to save me, but now look at how incredible I am because of this work God has done in me. I am truly stupendous, aren't I? I have superior intellect, superior morality. My kids are perfect. If everyone could watch me parent, read my Bible, pray, and do all that I do, would this world not be such a better place? Oh, you poor people that know me and are not like me. That's kind of how that works out. I might be a little fantastic, and there may be other variations of that, but that's how that typically works out. Now, you just got to know about me, like, please don't watch me, parent. I need help. And so, um, so this is the end of these kind of, and, and what's, what's, what's the, the core of these two things? The core of these two things is self. See, self still runs both worlds. I can do what I want because I have these desires, and I'm going to chase after my desires because I like them and I want them. And then the other is, I am really an incredible person. And myself, my pride, my pride, my pride, my pride. So sin, like let's get to this. What is it? How do I identify it? See, I think we live, tend to live in three realities with sin and lead to these kind of, maybe some of these other postures of life. So, so sin, what is it? Sin defined as sin is acting contrary to the will and law of God. So it's diverting from God's standard. And so sin, when I recognize I have sinned against God, is saying that God has a standard in which my life ought to line up with. Confessing my sin is coming to a place that I have not aligned with God's standard. But I would add to that, that's like the proper definition of sin. Sin is acting contrary to the will and law of God. And I would say, and attempting to make our very own selves to be God. And I think that's the end of sin, is that I am good and I am sufficient in and of myself. I am a little g God in and of my own. And so how this works out, and I think sin works out, so what is it? How do I identify it? So one, maybe kind of posture that we do and not deal with sin well is, I know it, right? I know I'm a sinner, 
and I stuff it. So how that works out is like this. I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I've done these bad things. I know that I don't do this well, but I'm just going to forget about that and hope it goes away. And so I'm just going to push my sin over in the corner and I'm going to kind of live this kind of facade. And this isn't even necessarily this facade that's necessarily like an angry or I think this actually leads to shame. It's this kind of living that I have these sins in front of me. I have this sin around me in my life and I'm just going to like tuck it away because I don't want anybody to see it. You know what I'm saying? Anybody with me on this? Like, we tuck it away. We don't want anybody to see it. Anybody ever done this? Liars, right? So everybody does this, right? I, I, I know it, and I stuff it away, and it leads to shame. And some of you are sitting here today, and you are filled up with shame because you're hiding so much. And you think that if it comes out, your life is going to be over. I'm just let you know it's a lie. It's not true. Teresa Fout believed a lie that if she was baptized, somehow it would expose that she wasn't quite where she, everyone thought she was. I don't know about you, but I was overwhelmed with joy in her being baptized today, and I was encouraged in my faith. I was, my story's just like hers. I was 29. I'd baptized 100 people. And I felt God sitting down in the chair in front of a service saying, Ryan, you need to be baptized. Because see, when I was 14, I'd made a prayer of some sort to God. <clears throat> but when I was 21, my life was transformed. And God said to me for years and years, you're out of order, Ryan. You haven't pro- publicly proclaimed me since you've known me. It was probably one of the most humbling things I've ever done in my life. And that might sound weird to some of you, but it was. It was hard. But I stepped in obedience, and I did it. Some of you, it's not just something like obedience. It's, it's really shameful things. You've acted out of accord with the will of God and the law of God. And you don't want anyone to know because you feel like if you're exposed, everything will be ruined. Things might be hard. Things might be challenging. But I promise you won't be ruined. God will take you through it. And in the end, your life will be better for it. And you no longer have to live in your shame. And you no longer have to live in your guilt. So one posture is I know it and I stuff it. Another is I don't know it and I don't have it. Right? This is the result of this is we kind of live just with a condemning attitude toward others. I don't really have that much sin. I don't really know the last time I've sinned. I remember this. I was, we were going to this revival meeting, Deb and I, um, a speaker had come to our church, and I remember I said it out loud to my wife. I'm such a terrible person. She said, we've been praying, like, the church had been leading us. What, what do you want God to do in your life? What do you want God to do in your life? And I kept hearing this revival speaker was like, they're like, wait, just when they come, man, the spirit of God comes with them. And when they come, man, you're going to get convicted. And I remember saying to Debbie in the car, I don't really know what there is. I don't, I don't struggle with pornography anymore. I don't struggle with this. I don't struggle with this. And so all the big sins, I don't feel like I have them. I'm not lying to you. Ten minutes into that service, I was a puddle on the front. 
my sin and pride were so big. They were huge, and that, that, that was far worse than anything else. I didn't know it. I didn't have it. See, it's not just about stuffing it. It's about arrogance, too. And our pride and our selfishness, if you don't believe those things are prowling, roaring at your life, you are crazy. And if you're saying, Ryan, did you just call me crazy? I did. I did. And what we do when we don't know it and don't have it and we live in this posture of life is we condemn those around us. And I don't know about you, but that's the least. That, that is the worst posture that I could stand before God with. But I believe there's a third. There's more. But a third is maybe, maybe we'll hear it and you'll think, that's just too, it's too easy, Ryan. But what if we just lived in this place day to day to, with God where we knew it and we confessed it? We, we knew it and we confessed it. We said, God, I know that I have sinned against you. Even this very day, I will again. I know my pride and my selfishness, they're real. And I know, I know these things are before me. Help me walk through them. At the end of the day, I say things like, God, I didn't speak well of that person. I was in that group and I started beating up on somebody and I changed the whole room's opinion of that person. I was really wrong, God. Will you help me set that right tomorrow? And we began to live in a way where we knew our sin was ever before us and we confessed it before God. I, I would tell you, you can live in shame, you can live condemning, or you can live free. And I believe we live in freedom when we know our sinfulness and we confess it before the Lord. So in this kind of working underneath this, what does this look like? Well, we can live in self-righteousness, which is I know it and I don't have it, which is legalism, which leads to moralism. And I've follow all the moral principles, and so I'm a very good person. If everyone would be like me, the world would be a better place. We can live in self-corruption, which is really what this text is speaking of, is in license, which is as prevalent as anything else in our day. I can do what I want because I feel how I want, and how can I feel be wrong? I can live in license, which is lawlessness, I have no parameters, I have no guide rails, I have nothing around my life, I live and do what I please. See, but again, the common denominator of all these is they all place self at the place of affection and self as the means of attaining God. So to be clear, the goal of all of the faith is, the, the good news of the gospel is that I get God. I get the one who I could not have gotten on my own. That there was one who was sent to die for me, Jesus Christ. And because of what he has done for me, I get God. See, this is the great hope. It's reconciliation to the one I'm separated from. That I was separated from God in my sin and I was united to him through the death, burial, and resurrection of my Savior, Jesus Christ. So what we can do in life is we can know this to be true, but still choose to live in independence in the day-to-day from our God. So it says, 
What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, and that should be shouted. That's how it's written in the Greek. By no means, no way, forget about it. Don't ever do that. No, no, no. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We who died, those who have entrusted their life to Christ, we who died to sin still live in it, right? Sin is not what I love anymore. How can I, how can I turn back to that which I hated, which I, which I did against God, which put Jesus on the cross? How can I still live in that in light of what's been done for me? So again, this isn't about my inherent goodness, not about my superior moral, morality, not about my desires or wants. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, the old hymns say it like this. O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, right? This victory is mine in Jesus. It says it like this. There is, there is power, power. I remember I was in a place, there was this old linebacker. He was, he was like... Uh, NFL player in like 1962, and I remember him singing that song at a at a like at a Refuge of Hope kind of meal and uh, at Calvary Baptist Mission, I think in Memphis. And he stood up and he goes, "There is power, power!" And he kept singing. I couldn't sing it with him because he said "power" so loud and so strong. But the reason he did is because he was an evil and a wicked man, and he knew the power of the cross in his life. There is power. There is power. There is wonder-working power. In the precious blood of the Lamb. Right? It says, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. There's this call that is not just in the hymns, there's a call all the way back to the ancient of ancients in the book of Romans, and it's saying, Jesus is it. Nothing else, nothing more profound, simply. The Father God sent his one and only Son to die the death we deserved, and through him we have life eternally. And as we grow in our affection for this one who gave our, his life for us, we live for his greater purposes. So, again, everything, everything for our sin. Again, everything is a massive word. But if he is not our everything to forgive our sin, he is not our Savior. Say, say it like this. If he is not your everything to forgive your sins, he is not your savior. You will either believe that you can achieve it on your own, or you don't need it at all, at all because of your superior morality. Again, many of us do it like this. We say yes to Jesus. But then we move on and we live in our superiority or we live in our license. But I believe what this text is calling us to is never get over Jesus and what he has done for us. What shall we say then? Are we continuing in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So the second thing that we see in the text is that Jesus is everything for our life. Jesus is everything for our life. 
So in this text, it's going to go through two kinds of ways of looking at baptism. First, it's going to be a symbolic of what we actually witnessed this morning, this symbolic baptism of a death, burial, and resurrection. Teresa was not, Teresa was not, she didn't die this morning, I don't believe, right? Um, yeah, she's there, she's alive, right? She rose, she rose from the watery grave, and, and so she She's, she, she didn't die in it, but it was a symbol. It was a symbol of what has happened to her in Jesus. So there was a symbolic a participation in death and resurrection that we have in him. So verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, we're, the next verse is going to talk about a literal baptism, a water submersion. But this verse, what it's speaking of, is, is symbolic. It's something spiritual that has happened inside of us. So in this, those who have been baptized, right, are immersed into Jesus, identified with Jesus, right? This is what it's speaking of. And so into his death, meaning we now in Christ identify with him, and he is now the basis of our living, the basis of our relationships, the basis of our life, that I have died to my ways, I have died to self, my ego, my wants, my desires, they no longer drive me, but his wants, his desires, his way, his rule, his authority, his lordship, he is the ruler and guider of my life because it's no longer Ryan Johnston who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Right, so it says, it says it like this. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The old has gone, the new has come. Identified into his death. But it's an actual water baptism, which the scriptures speak of over and over, of an immersion baptism. Even in ancient documents, we see it as, this is why we do it here at the North Kent Chapel. Jesus was baptized, others were baptized. We see it happen in even the early church in the documents that this is, was the primary mode of baptism. Immersion. So it says, actual water. We were therefore buried with him, verse 4, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So in this, we see that those who have been baptized, again, immersed, identified with Jesus, they have a new identity. Now, if you've been around here much, you've heard me talk about this. And I hope you don't get tired of me talking about this because I'm probably never going to stop talking about it. But when we are baptized into Jesus, we are making a declaration, a proclamation. And this isn't some liturgical Father, Son, Holy Spirit cross you up and do that thing. I don't know what to do. I didn't grow up in those traditions. If I offended you, I'm sorry. And so, so in this, that isn't this some liturgy kind of thing. This is deeply personal. I mean, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, meaning that I was not a child of God. And I don't have a father. I, I, there we go. I unplugged it. So it's weird. Clap my hands and it goes off. It's a clapper. <laughs> Sorry. So we need to change the electricity on this thing. So, um, <clears throat> So baptized in the name of the Father, meaning that, that I wasn't a child of God, and now I have a Father. I would, I would just say to you, if that doesn't warm your heart, like, I, just, I just wonder, like, is God your Father? Baptized in the name of the Son, that I was not a servant of my Lord Jesus, the one who gave himself for me, but today I am his servant. How could I ever endlessly serve the one who has served me so deeply 
what sacrifice would I not make for him? Because he made the ultimate sacrifice for me. Baptized in the name of the Spirit, that there is one who indwells me, that is far above me and beyond me, sending me on the greatest mission in the whole world until my Savior returns, of living for him, of serving him in the everyday places of life to wherever it is that he may ask me to go and whatever he may ask me to do in my life. See, there's something profound about this new identity of of baptism, that, that I am unifying myself with Christ, no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, but Christ who lives in me. See, death was defeated, Christ is risen, and we willfully surrender our life over to death, to self, so that we might have our life in Christ. 1 John 5, 5 says, he, who is it that overcomes the world? 1 John 5, 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The imperative of belief in this text, it's not some sort of passive, flippant, yeah, belief, why not? Makes sense. But it's this present, active verb. You don't hear me do this very often. But it's right now, today, I believe that I overcome the world through my belief, through my faith, through my trust, through counting on the one who gave himself for me. So the question, I think, that this text causes us to ask. Have you given up your life? Have we given up our lives that the life of Christ might dwell in us fully? Have I given up my pride? What, what is it in your pride that is holding you back from being faithful to God? And I promise you, if you have it, it just popped in your mind. I know a thing because I've, I am a thing. I have sat in a room where someone has asked me that question and five things pop in my head. It's an issue of pride. What is it for you? The issues of selfishness. What is it that you are unwilling to bow your knee down to? Because yourself is far more important than laying down your own rights, your own wants, your own needs. And I believe maybe the third is the issue of hard-heartedness. The reason we don't give our life over to death is because simply our hearts are too hard. And those are probably a combo punch of pride and selfishness that we just can't stop. The hard thing for those of us in the room that are hard-hearted is you can't even hear me right now. It's because maybe your eight years of disobedience, they're, they're going on 40. And your heart's just been calloused to saying yes to God. Or maybe your two years feel like 200 and you're just tired of feeling the shame, you're tired of feeling the condemnation 
And so you just push it away and act like it doesn't exist. See, I believe one of the greatest things that we can do on this holy week is get right with God. And I don't think that's something you do once. I think it's something that happens over and over and over and over and over and over in the Christian life. It's called sanctification. It's called increasingly bringing our life under the authority of Jesus as our desires increasingly grow for him. So just so you know, I've heard this text my whole life and I've heard it argued my whole life. Questions arise from this text like this. Do I have to be baptized to be saved? That's one of the main questions that come out of this text. And I would just say to you today, that's a terrible question. It's actually the worst question in the world. Because if you start asking God what the minimum requirements are for you to be in his good graces, you don't want God at all. It's all about you. But if you ask the question of God, what do you want from me? What do you desire from me? That's a better question. And when we see his desires in the scripture, we have one responsibility. Obey. And so today, so today, maybe you're struggling with issues of pride, issues of selfishness, issues of hard-heartedness, or many, many other things. But will you today just maybe pray this one prayer? God, whatever you want, I'm in. I want to humble myself before you. I want to act. So I, I would say to you today, Christian, in the room, those of you who have trusted in Jesus, this invitation right here, if you are clear right now that you don't know Jesus, I'm going to talk to you in just a second. But Christian, those who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, have you been made new? Has your life identified with the death that was yours? Has your life been resurrected with Christ or is your life your own and not his? To those of you who that identifies with today, I would just say this, repent of your sins and turn to faith in Jesus. You don't have to play the game. You don't have to live posing. But today, you can humble yourself and be set right with God. Christian, today in the room, maybe sin was made a reality of what you've been stuffing where, where you've been condemning today, I believe before the Father, you can, as we sing this next song, get in right standing with him by just saying, I confess my sin, I know it. And I know you know it. And I'm just gonna agree with you on it. To those who have never believed, I would say today, today would be a great day to say, God, I know that I have rebelled against your law against your way and because of it because of it I've been separated from you and today God would you set me right Jesus I believe that you died on the cross for my sins I want to know you I want to live for you and I want to follow you all the days of my life I believe God's spoken today I'm going to pray and after I pray these altars will be open we're going to stand and sing might we not leave too quickly might we deal with whatever God has said. Father, help us today 
Help us today to respond to you appropriately. Father, we believe and we know that our sin is ever before us. Lord, our pride and our selfishness, they're truly overwhelming when we consider them. But Lord, we know that you free us from these things. You free us from ourselves. Lord, I pray that each and every person gathered here today might be able to leave by simply saying what the Apostle Paul said it is not I who lives but Christ who lives in me and Lord whatever we have to do today to be able to confidently stay that statement maybe to give our lives to you for the first time whoever hasn't trusted in you maybe to let go of things we're holding on to maybe to confess things that need confessing but Lord help us to obey you so that we can confidently say, it's no longer I who lives, but you, Jesus, who lives in us. Move as we sing, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can stand, and as you stand, again, respond as God leads you this morning.